Some nicknames are for showing affection, others for making fun. The best ones are somewhere in between. My name is Andrew, but for most of my life, people have called me Grog. But where did Grog come from, and what does it mean? We're on a mission to find out. You're listening to Searching for Grog. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Searching for Grog. I am your host, Adam, and I am here with the regular cast of characters. We have Andrew Passion. Give us a little howdy-who. Howdy-who! And we got Brandon with us as well. Give us a hidey-ho. Very nice. <laughs> so so this episode I don't really have anything to present um but I just kind of want to set up the story because um I think you guys have something to tell me um just to set everything up I was trying to find a copy of the game that you could play the actual arcade game that you could play to kind of try to you know, kickstart those memories and see if it would, if it would, uh, I don't know, have any kind of reaction. So I did some searching on the Vintage Arcade Preservation Society VAPS message boards, and I found a few people who had either dedicated standalone units, kits, um, you know, whatever, all kinds of things like that. And I found somebody named show first of all a guy who lives here in tokyo and i tried to contact him and set up a chance for me to play and then i found another guy named keith who lives out by you guys and contacted him and my hope was that we would be able to kind of somehow work it out that we would both be able to be playing this game at the same time and communicating and stuff but it didn't work out that way but i did get a hold of this guy keith and i put him in touch with you and i think you guys went to visit him is that right well, first of all, it was, I thought, I didn't realize it was VAPS. I thought it was FAPS, and I was getting way different search results on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that explains so much oh about our gosh. car ride. Yeah, I was like, man, what is this? Um, <laughs> yeah, I send you to some like, uh, some like seedy Hollywood basement where you're like, <laughs> you're like, am I, do I audition in here or... <laughs> put my assless chaps on for no reason. <laughs> took so long to get into this. <laughs> That's how we showed up to Keith's up. Yeah, Drew right. yeah. Drew finally came through and he uh and he contacted Keith and we had a we had a visit with Keith. It was pretty awesome. So tell me about it. I mean, now he is a collector. I saw on his list on the message board that he has quite a few uh machines in his collection, but what was uh, what was it like? Man, it was crazy, at least in my experience. I don't think I've ever seen a collection like that. Because um, I, I assumed, you know, okay, he's got maybe a Trog machine. Maybe he's got, like, Pac-Man. But we get to his house, and I should add, too, that it was it was kind of an odd situation setting up the meet. Because similar to you, Adam, I hadn't actually talked to this guy ever. 
but having his phone number, I texted him and, um, and, you know, we had planned to meet up a couple weeks back and it fell through. And then we made another plan just this last week, but it was just kind of odd to me how quickly he accepted the fact that I was going to come into his house as a total stranger. So like going there, I was afraid. Um, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, the second you walk up, it's an awesome house anyway, but he has an entire basement worth of probably I would say 50, maybe 60 different machines, pinballs, arcades, super rare stuff that he's like, you know, working on personally and tinkering with and opening up and things. Um, I mean, my mind was blown when I walked down there. Graphics, though. Whoa, look at that thing just spins around. It was actually pretty funny driving over because Drew got really, um, he got super nervous, getting all fidgety. We were having good conversation, then he just started. And Drew's in sales, so he talks to strangers all the time, but hes I didn't realize he was actually worried like that maybe Keith would, this was his way to lure young, unsuspecting 30-year-olds into his basement. I mean, it's its a fair, it's a fair thing to be afraid of, right? Like... <laughs> Some rando, come come down to my basement. Let me show you my toys. Kind that of you thing. like that's the but the weirdo that you called. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like if if he was like, and he wasn't even asking people to come. In fact, it sort of specifically says don't come unless you're invited. But like, um, I mean, that's like the the premise of the message boards. Like, don't ask if you can come unless somebody tells you can come and and stuff like that. But um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the idea that somebody would put up a game from the night from like 1990 and say, on the off chance that somebody might be interested in coming and looking at it, you know, and then try to take your kidneys. Later. Yeah, yeah. I get it was irrational, and I that's you know, I, I it, as soon as I walked up, it all went away. I just had to add it in that it was it was it was odd how quick I was vetted into his his trust circle. Um, so, which I actually, so before we, you know, I think that, I think that what that comes down to is it's, it's a, it's not a very big community. The people who are into these, you know, arcade machines and especially pinball machines and stuff, it's not a huge community. And I think that the people who are the serious collectors are, you know, they're really hardcore. Like they're really Mm -hmm. into this idea of preserving this part of history and, and uh, this art form and stuff. So um, the idea of, you know, I, I'm not even a collector, but just the idea that somebody would reach out like that, I think I, it would excite me to be able to talk about this, you know, hobby with people. So yeah, yeah I think I that's probably a lot of where it is. One of the things that was so cool about Keith is um, he, he, like his passion for video games was really, really clear. But so he had, like Drew said, he had this basement that was totally decked out. It's like the ultimate man cave. It had like LED lights and he has all of his equipment is in pristine condition. And he has like kind of a section that's like vintage video games that are in like the arcade cabinets. Um, and then he also has a whole section of like pinball machines. And the pinball machines even had um, like, uh, so apparently in the, I, dude, Drew and I thought that pinball was basically about high score. I don't know if if you ever really have gotten into pinball, Adam, but like we that's all I ever thought it was and so pinball never really interested me and he like took us down this dark uh 
rabbit trail of pinball and like how every pinball has this like deep thought through strategy that opens up other things and you hit this like seven times and it unlocks this and so you're basically just working your way through the game so you're trying to fuck all the characters fuck all the bowling balls wow so it's not just about high score no that's kind of like the people that don't play pinball, I feel like that's the misnomer about pinball. They just think you're trying to get a high score. Well, that was how it was in the 80s. That's my take. Like, that's until five seconds ago, that was my take of pinballing. That's incredible, dude. High score. It's such a cool game. This is another He was showing us all these different, um, arc, like, pinball machine things, and, like, then the programmers or random little programmers will like come up with modifications that you can do so you can open up your pinball and add different mods so that when you hit certain things, other things open. And it was just like incredible like how deep he got into it. But the coolest thing about him, I don't know, Drew, you can weigh in, but the coolest thing is that he goes down there. So first of all, he doesn't have visitors. I said, how many people come and see these games? And he's like, no one. Really hard. You try. So do like gaming enthusiasts just like come and find you and seek you out? You're the first person. That's kind really? Of like 20 years. That surprises me, man. And I was like, oh. And he, but but he plays them all the time, and basically he has this philosophy where if he stops playing a game, he gets rid of it. As I mentioned, I'm a gamer. I, I come down here and I play these things to this day. I still, if I don't, if I stop playing it, like Tempest, mm-hmm. I, I get rid of it. And so he had this like this super vintage, like super rare, valuable Star Wars game, you know. And as much as he said, you know, he wanted to keep it and hang on to it, his code was he stopped playing it. He got bored with it, and so like um, Star Wars, as mm-hmm. much as as iconic as that game is, once I played it a handful of times, it's largely a memorization game. Right. I never liked those. So everybody always when they'd come over, they'd like to play it. But when COVID hit and no one was able to come over, I'm like gone. He has like a pretty eclectic, pretty random set of games, including <laughs> uh, Grog. So, um, yeah. Well, and two versions of it, which was nuts. So he has, so he has both. He has the original bone laying version, and he has the the main the the consumer one, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, just to hammer home, like his his ability to to tinker with things, he had. A dedicated cabinet that he he just kind of threw it to the side. The fact that he had designed this this emulator and he had something like nine thousand different games on this thing, and one of them was the initial non-release version of Trog. And so he was like mm-hmm. going through this emulator he made. It was so awesome, first off. But but yeah, he had the bone one, and then he had the the dedicated cabinet itself in like the what would it look like back in two thousand? You know full trog on the side you know oh, wow. all the colored joysticks and everything oh my god it was it was so awesome to see it it was the four player version then right yes. okay it makes me really happy that you guys got to play the version that was the way that it was everything that they had put into it right that you got to play their original concept and you got to play the finalized concept as well as playing it on the machine with the actual 
hardware that it came with. That's man, that's so cool. I was going to add into that he so he had mentioned to his daughter that he had two people coming to look at the trog machine with the four joysticks and immediately she got up at arms was like don't no whatever you do don't sell it and uh, <laughs> and he's like no they're just coming to play so i guess it's her favorite not only his but her favorite game in in the arcade machine or sorry in his little arcade basement out of uh out of all the options he has so you still play this game oh yeah and your daughter likes playing it my, my, all my kids like that's so cool because that's what George was talking about is that, you know, he has a similar setup, right? He has a bunch of games in his basement that half of them are things that he worked on and half of them are games that he just loved or got inspired by and that his daughters grew up playing the Trog game with him, right? So mm-hmm. obviously this is a game that still like appeals to kids, right? That's, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and it's the one of the few games in his collection that um, you know four people can play at one time. So that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we played the um, we played the the Bone Lane one first, and we talked to Keith mm-hmm. about you know like basically his perspective on the whole thing, and he said you know they came up with this, and and he goes and and I kind of agree with the assessment like this version of what they did is just not very fun, like you you lay bones down and you kind of guide your dinosaur around using bones. And it's just kind of weird. Like you get it and it makes sense, but also like for like what, like the little kids playing it, it would be pretty, pretty hard concept to figure it out. And so, um, but that's what we played first. Drew, what was your thought on the bone one? Yeah, I'll admit it. It took me a couple of minutes and I'm not a kid and I was, I was, (laughs) <laughs> just a little thrown off. It it seems like there was a cool concept there. Obviously, it, it turned out to be a better game in the future, but it was so... I mean, you get so stuck in, like, the move of the hand. I mean, you have to, like, move at every dot in the screen. You can't just kind of fluidly move your hand around, um, and that just takes a lot of focus. So before you know it, your dinosaur is walking off the damn island every time. Back in oh, right away I go off the cliff. Mm. Um. And it's just, it's also like, like, uh, Brennan talked about, you know, Keith's, Keith's point. It's just boring. You're, you're leading this dinosaur around to what, just to, you know, to eat eggs, but there's not that, that pressure as much. So as the, the actual trog game to get away from trog. Um, yeah, because the original, you have the bones and it kind of, you guide it. And this one, yeah, like what Keith of- was saying, it's just a little bit more fun. Exactly. They've taken out like the complicated equation of moving your hand and dropping his bones. Because I, yeah, I gotta be honest. Like, when I played the other one, that was difficult for me to process what I was doing to box you in like that. But it sounds to me like you guys weren't. Yeah, that you weren't put in the competitive part where you can where you can control the other people with your bones as well and direct them off the game map. And because I mean, the way that it was described by George, and I've played it a little bit, um, mm-hmm. not on our actual proper machine, but I've played, you know, I've emulated it. And um, that idea of like sabotaging the other people, misdirecting them and stuff, I think could be really fun if you get good at it for sure. That's but, true. And and we did play that for a moment. We played that mode, but again, it was just, you get so stuck on your own hand and where your bones are supposed to be placed. Like you could focus on your opponent, but then, then your dinosaur is walking off the island and things. So <laughs> yeah, I guess 
that's the competitive aspect is trying to manage both those things at the same time. But I can definitely see why they would have, you know, reiterated the the gameplay later on. Yeah. So I guess my question for you then is you played this version with the bone laying one and you guys are without talking about the other version, like you're, you're fairly sure that if this is the game that we played, it was not the bone version. Yes. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So, so you played that one first and kind of talked about it a little bit with Keith and then you switched over to the other, to the, to the, uh, you know, the official release, right? So tell me your impressions of that playing it there in the flesh. Go ahead, Brandon. Yeah. I mean, um, maybe this was just in my head from George, but, um, the idea that it was kind of like a Pac-Man kind of thing, um, in a four player thing, you know, the, the, I was really hoping that I would see it and everything would just magically come back. And I I can (laughs) tell you that didn't happen, but I could definitely Mm. see like it sort of all, I mean, it all made sense that it would be that game. You know, like you know, you're the little dinosaur, and you're going. It's basically kind of like a a version of Pac-Man, and you can power up and become this huge, giant, scary T-Rex, and then you can eat the cavemen that are trying to come after you. I just got a pineapple. Oh, I'm gonna eat some trucks. Oh, nice. Okay, so I just turned into a giant. So this is the Pac-Man version of it that he was talking about. Yep, exactly. You have immunity right now, so you get to eat all the bad guys. Okay, now I'm just a little baby dinosaur now. <laughs> and um, right. So yeah, I mean, I could see it. I could see it being that way, but um, honestly, it didn't like ring any bells for me, which was kind of disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a s- similar situation. I mean, I think when I walked up, I definitely had this moment like. This looks like it. I mean, the the build of this arcade machine isn't very common. It's a little shorter than you would think. And, and you know, those four joysticks come out of that screen further than, like a, than one you'd be used to, like an X-Men game that we had in our garage. This feels and sounds like the game, dude. My only question is, why would we have thought it was mini golf? I know. So it felt like something that I would definitely walk up to me. It's like this turquoise arcade, you know, with Trog on the side. But again, like Brand said, like I was hoping for this aha once I heard the sounds and game play and things, and it didn't necessarily happen. But um, one comment Brennan made while we were playing, because uh, I guess somehow I just look like Trog. He's like, look at that's you, dude. That's you. Dude, that looks like, um, looks like you, Drew. <laughs> Especially now, with my uh, mashed potato body, I look just like Trog. Oh. <laughs> well, especially now that you have your beard like, right. and everything, you, yeah, you, you are much more Trog-like. And I, my Cyclops eye is a dead dead on uh, look-alike, too, so yeah, yeah. I get that. Um, <laughs> I was curious about how you would feel about the sounds, because you know when I showed you the game, just like clips on the internet and stuff it didn't, you know, you didn't see Trog himself so much and you didn't hear his voice, which is so funny and goofy, like the way he's laughing and, you know, and yelling the, ah, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
I was just curious how you guys kind of reacted to the to the sound design of the game. You know, I think we, I th- personally, I think maybe that was the the downside of meeting up with Keith is that we didn't really have time to focus in on the sound itself. Like I heard the gameplay, the the dinosaurs going around, but I feel like we were talking most of the time about the design of things. So um, although we did have a couple minutes, he had left us to go upstairs, I think, to get some pizza because he had dinner delivered when we got there. We felt awful about it. Uh, (laughs) So he went upstairs and then we had just a couple minutes just us playing. Um, So I didn't actually get to hear, hear his, you know, his uh, growls or anything like that, but the noises definitely sounded like there were some gears moving in my head there for sure. Yeah, me too. Brandon, what about you? Yeah, I, I think, I think I did hear the sounds and the sounds actually seemed more familiar to me than the gameplay and like the way it sounds and the way it looks, it feels like what we played. We're expert. Dude, this feels like truck. This does really feel like it. But actually playing it, I just have no recollection of doing like a Pac-Man thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. You can hear You can hear the sounds on our little, on our recording that we did when we were over there. I guess the reason that I asked you specifically, Brandon, is that, um, you know, you mentioned before that you wanted to hear something that we could have teased Drew about. And the way that he, that caveman is just kind of this silly, slap happy kind of character, I think is something that we would definitely tease Drew about. And I can imagine him getting mad being compared to this caveman because there's those times where he gets mad when the caveman comes out and he's, you know, he yells at you the, ah, and I almost have this like weird memory of us imitating that growl too. Dude. Yeah, I do too. You just you just sparked a memory. Like that's that was I feel like that was the main reason that that I got the name uh was the the noises he makes cuz I remember that coming after every time you call me Grog or kind of like a or whatever. I forget now, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that whenever we would call you Grog, you would you would respond by acting like Grog, you know, you'd you'd yell, "Don't call me Grog." And <laughs> So it was a very humorous uh, loop that we put you in. Can I add one more thing about a pinball just to, just to tell you how fascinated I am now? Yeah, yeah, please. So it was just, uh, it was really cool. Cause like Brand said, Keith was really all about the pinball. Like we could spend maybe 10 minutes on Trog, but he wanted to keep going back and showing us all these things. And he's such a fan. He actually had one, that some guy had kind of done from a grassroots standpoint. So he wrote his own music. He designed the whole game. And I think he said it's one of two, maybe three co-op pinball games. We're we working together? Yeah. So we have two of the reactors. You're, you're playing in co-op mode. This game actually has co-op mode. That's so smart. That's, that's probably not very common with pinball, I imagine. Nope. The new thing this guy added, and I, I love it. Yeah, it's a cool way to get people around it and also play together. Hmm. How does that work? It was so bizarre, but basically it's this um, reactor this uh, that you have to either turn on or turn off. But So you have to work as a team to hit certain points on this pinball uh, field, if you will. And then once you get all these points touched, you're supposed to get the ball into the top 
of the pinball machine where it'll bounce around in the reactor and get you all these points. And it's so hard and so frustrating, but so fucking fun. Huh. Like, uh, and he, like, he was obviously getting frustrated with us because we weren't at his level. <laughs> he wanted us to get into the reactor, but it was so hard to do that. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, all right, play one more time. Just just get in the reactor. Just put it in the reactor. I'm like, I'm trying, man. I don't have the skill. <laughs> When you first started talking about those pinball machines, it made me think of some of the like the pinball machines that stick in my mind would be like Adam's Family, Twilight Zone. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few like that that are just like that are really really iconic to me. And the reason why they stick in my mind is exactly what you're talking about. You have to like there's a narration that tells you to do this, and then when you hit that, it tells you something else, and it opens up certain things. And I remember it being like a game where you have goals that you have to accomplish in order. And then you can get to certain stages and stuff. And so, so what you're talking about, yeah, is I think good pinball machines definitely have that aspect. And that concept that you're talking about of like a two player thing, it's hard to me to even envision what that would entail, but it does sound really intriguing for sure. Yeah. It's, I think you basically have like three lives each. And if your ball drops out, you switch. Yeah. You tag each other, you tag each other in. So Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I see. Anyway, I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we had that old X-Men machine, it was the same kind of thing like you're talking about there, Brandon. Like, you know, as soon as we got sick of it and we weren't playing it all the time, I just wanted to get rid of it because it, it's huge and it takes up a bunch of space. And when you pass it, you don't feel like, oh, I want to play it. You just kind of, it's just kind of there. And that was something that I learned like is that some arcade games you you know no matter how fun they are you will get sick of them but it made me feel like I wanted to get a pinball game instead because that's something where it's a fresh experience every time because it's not something on a programmed path you know you have variation every time and skill and things like that involved so yeah I just can't I can't um just praise Keith enough I mean he has a family that um is is taking the COVID epidemic very, very seriously. And frankly, I'm surprised that he even let us in his house, two strangers, you know, we kept our masks on the whole time. So if it's hard to hear us, that's why. Right. Um, and he, but he is so passionate about like evangelizing video games, man. I mean, it was just so cool, um, for him to let us in and show us his whole setup. Hmm. And to add to that, just how cool he is, this had to be on purpose, but he was wearing a Galloping Ghost t-shirt. Oh, cool. And so we asked him about it. And to connect this to our overarching theme of, you know, just two bros helping other two bros, he had just gotten back from a trip with his brother in Chicago. And so they made sure to go buy the Galloping Ghost just to check it out and, you know, to make more memories together with, with family, which I thought was really cool. He has six or six or seven hundred arcade games at this place. He basically has a full city block. He he owns like the whole, or owns or leases whatever the whole side of the building, mm-hmm. and it's just one huge arcade. It's crazy, and he had a trunk there. We talked about it so much in our podcast, and the fact that he was just there and came back, and it was yeah. a cool moment to kind of share all of that together with with this total stranger who like led us into his house and all those things. He's such a cool guy. Well, you know, it also ties into what you were talking about, like this idea of 
these games creating memories and stuff and building these generational memories because him playing the game with his with his daughters and everything you know and he i mean did you get any kind of information about how it is that he ever found the game in the first place or what his connection was to it because it seems like a weird one to add to your collection especially when you have such t- strict rules about how you <laughs> curate your collection <laughs> right yeah he had he had um he really liked rare games and he's a he's a major connoisseur like he's been playing games his whole life and so pretty much any game he ever played um he kind of has this like weird memory for it and uh, he knew that he knew kind of the story you know loosely of trog and he knew it was sort of like an under um like not a super popular one and he has a number of those you know games where they're like you know 10 people who would really really love to have the game but other other than that like people don't even know it exists and so hmm. like he kind of knew the story which you could tell he really did know the story because he had both versions of it um yeah. in this in this you know basement of his so yeah he didn't really necessarily have like a a a memory you know like that came with the game but um those are the games he sort of seeks out and he let us play some of his other ones that he has like that too. Well, what's impressive about the situation, the way he found it, he told us. So I, I mentioned that he had an emulator running the non, you know, non-release version of Trog. So the way he said he found it, along with I think a couple others, is that after making the emulator, he had like nine thousand arcade games. So he just played every single one until <laughs> one looked familiar, and he's like, "Okay, this is it. I'm gonna go buy it now." Um. And so I just can't imagine how long that would have taken, especially if it's in an alphabetical order, like to get down to the T's. Yeah. Um, that would be so much work, but you can, that just speaks to how passionate the guy is uh, and how much it means to him. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's a whole world there that I'm just sort of discovering now through this show. But, you know, talking to Brian Collin, the maker of Rampage, talking to Jack Hager and George Petro, who, you know, made Trog. Um, and hearing their stories about those guys like Eugene Jarvis who made like Defender, right? And, and then seeing mm-hmm. the collectors like um, like the guy I sent you to in the first place. I can't even remember his name now, but... Bill. Yeah, Esquivel. Bill. Yeah, we got Bill and then, you know, these other collectors and stuff. And, 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 of course, you know, the Galloping Ghost and all that kind of stuff. There's just this whole world there of arcade collectors and creators and stuff like that that is so alive and so vivid and still you know whatever Mm -hmm. and you don't think about it you think about games these days being like what 90 percent or something now that are played on mobile and then yeah and then like the rest are on console or pc and then you don't ever think about arcades anymore because it seems like a lost thing like a lost art but it's still it, there, yeah. And 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 totally they're is. and they're even di- you know they're they're just those people are all the more passionate about it for that reason. I think, right? Totally. I mean, we talked about that. We'll probably feature that piece maybe in in the recording we have. But one point he made is that you know the reason arcades collectors were a really big thing is that everyone his age back in the day. I mean, that's what you did. You went down to Seven Eleven played a game here and there and he said he never snuck out to drink he never snuck out to smoke weed or anything he only snuck out to 7-eleven to play 
an arcade game. <laughs> and so he said when he hit his 30s and he had expendable income, that's all he wanted to do was recreate those memories. And so those guys who had the ability to do it then own it now. And it is it is a dying art because no one has those memories to connect to it. You know, No one's out going out to 7-Eleven anymore to play it. But these guys who have those great memories are all friends now and you know, sharing, oh, which one do you have? Which one don't you, you know? I mean, you have one, a, of the, one of the things that's, that's kind of true about the, so this hobby mm -hmm. was really, really hot about 15 years ago when guys like me were turning like in their 30s. We had money to Disposable income, we were right. checking down our old, those games that we loved. But gosh, we're getting older now, man. So mm -hmm. like the, the people who still care about this, it's, it's dying yeah. off. These games, they're worth a lot right now for collectors, but mm -hmm. like, there's probably, I would guess, maybe five people in the world that would even want this this game. Like Brennan talked about, there's probably only five guys that know half his collection, but it's just yeah. it's, it's a cool thing to have that tight of a circle. Well, even the idea that you found a guy in Japan and then one near us that both had a trog machine that, what, there was only 500 yeah like arcade machines in the world is crazy to me so it's just it's really cool so from from the actual searching for grog standpoint it didn't ring the bells in the way you guys had hoped but it still feels like it very well could have been the game is that kind of the summary that you guys have of it yeah i think i think it's the the very closest option that we have i if it's not this i have no effing clue what it is yeah it would yeah. be a whole nother it would be a whole nother search <laughs> it would be a whole different maybe thing. a second season yeah <laughs> searching for grog too yeah and i know talking to people that's like the worst nightmare all i've been getting are questions like are you ever gonna find it and i wish i could tell everybody that this was it 100 percent. i just don't know if we're ever gonna get there but i would say we're a good 90 percent I feel confident saying that. Next level. Has to be it. What do you think? That's the game, dude. I think it's the game You didn't see me being very frustrated at this for sure. Well, here's the thing that I feel is that it's it it doesn't matter to me anymore. Um, the things that I've learned through this show is number one that there's a there's a very very special kind of value to these shared memories that everybody has together, um, and. So whether this was the game or not, we have kind of put this button on it saying, hey, this is, we all remember it kind of like this. And if this is the most likely candidate, I'm happy with that because we have pulled out all these other details that we would have never been able to pull out just in trying to recreate this memory. Things like dad wearing that weird little bucket hat that he wore that summer and, right. you know, um, Brandon taking all the Dramamine and knocking himself out in the back of the car, stuff like and his that. Leg like getting like cheese grated. Yeah, like all these little <laughs> memories that would have been lost to the sands of time if we hadn't kind of actively tried to hunt down this memory. And the fact is, we're never going to remember it completely correctly because it's that's the whole nature of memory is that mm -hmm. it isn't a certain thing with any facts. It's something that we all have our own particular take on. But the other thing about this is that if this wasn't the game that we were looking for, we've found all this other stuff. We found these brothers who are selling pizza and competing with each other out in Nevada. And we found 
George and Jack, who were just making these crazy fun little projects that they were coding directly into the compiling software of the machine itself. And, you know, now we found somebody like Keith, who's, you know, raising a whole another generation to be playing these fun games. And to me, that's more valuable than actually knowing for certain that this is the game. Right. Yeah. Then satisfying the itch. This was... This was worth the journey, absolutely. The journey was what this was all about anyway, this search. Yeah. I also I also should make a point here to say this, and this isn't really apropos of what you guys are talking about, but this whole idea for this show was completely on you, Brandon. Um, I know that I've been the one who's kind of steering it and doing that just because that's my nature. To I love like digging in deep and finding all this information and stuff, but... I remember you pitching the idea saying we should make a podcast about the name Grog. And at the time I thought, what would the value of that be? And who would that be for? <laughs> it's like the most indulgent idea. And who gives a shit if we're talking about some <laughs> nickname that nobody even knows about. But Right. Man, I'm glad you didn't say that to me. That would have made me so sad. <laughs> yeah. Well. You just waited a couple episodes. All that to say <laughs> All that to say, occasionally you have had okay ideas in hindsight. (laughs) Nobody knows it, but that's like the best thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) I'm tearing up, guys. (laughs) On occasion, you have (laughs) been worthwhile a little bit. That's right. Well, I think we can call it a wrap then. All right. Well, guys, this was a really fun journey, and I hope that we can take it in a very new, exciting direction. For those people listening at home, we do have some interesting ideas of where to take this next, and it won't be about Grog, but it will be about another quest, perhaps even more epic. So if that's something that people want to listen to, let us know. Hit us up on our Instagram or you know where to find us. It's where we it's it's going to be about us searching for our um our old pet that my parents said went to a farm and we're going to call it searching for dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We know where Molly ended up. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to be so sad cuz we're just going it'll be one episode and we'll be like, "Oh, she dead. She's with Mrs. <laughs> Trujillo now." <laughs> You know she wouldn't even walk her too. She'd just be like <laughs> the same thing she did with us. She'd sit her in front of the TV and have us watch Woody Woodpecker cartoons until it's time to go. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, this has been an awesome experience, guys. I hope that we can continue it. All right. Well, guys, thank you for listening to Searching for Grog and stay tuned for whatever comes next out of this team up. This has been Searching for Grog. Huge thanks for this episode go out to game collector extraordinaire Keith Galosi. Thank you so much for opening up your home to two complete strangers during a global pandemic and sharing your knowledge and enthusiasm about vintage games. I think you've got two new converts in these boys. Serious thanks go out to the amazing people at Williams Electronics, also known as Bally Midway. 
That includes Ken Fedesna for giving us the tip to find distribution channels, and to Brian Collin for putting us in touch with the original creators of Trog. And of course, a huge heartfelt thanks to Jack E. Hager, who created all of the artwork for Trog, and George Petro, who did all of the programming and design. If you want to know more about this amazing studio that brought you games like NBA Jam, Mortal Kombat, and Cruisin' USA, then check out the upcoming documentary Insert Coin at insertcoindoc.com. Thank you also to the Vintage Arcade Preservation Society, aka VAPS, not FAPS, and the following Reddit communities, r slash roadtrip, tip of my tongue, tip of my joystick, and all of the communities at Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, and Wyoming. Thank you to our cousins, Alyssa Gunn Maldonado, Evan Passion, and Kelly Kelly for helping fill in all the gaps of our fuzzy memory. Thanks to our family, Kevin Passion, for taking us on that road trip all those years ago. To Vicky Passion for remembering all the details better than anyone else in the family. You were right after all. And to our sister Kate, who we all wish had been on that trip with us. And last but not least, thank you to Trog himself, the little caveman that could. May you continue to bring joy and good memories for generations to come. <laughs>